Welcome to this BGSM podcast. I'm Babette Slam, Deputy Editor of the BGSM, and I'm here with Professor Jan Ekstrom, Orthopedic Surgeon and Professor of Sports Medicine at Linköping University in Sweden. Jan is the Vice Chairman of the UEFA Medical Committee and has been running prospective studies related to the epidemiology of sports injuries in football since 1982. We have learned a lot since then, and especially about hamstring injuries, which we will, which we will talk about today. Welcome, Jan. Thank you. Well, Jan, the, let's talk about the hamstrings, uh, yes. an injury that, that occurs very often in, in soccer players. When you look at hamstrings, which of the muscles are most often affected, and is there a difference with respect to return to play and the risk of re-injury? Uh, well, uh, you are absolutely right that uh, at elite level, uh, the muscle injuries and especially the hamstrings are a great uh, problem. And um, and uh, the hamstring muscle injuries is in fact the most common uh, uh, specific injury at elite level. And uh, we have, um, together with radiologists in in England and the clubs, uh, analyzed MRIs from um, uh, hamstring injuries for about seven years now. And uh, so we were able to uh, to look at which specific muscles are affected, where are the locations, the 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 type of injury, and so on. Um, so we have some sub data about the injuries, and we found out, uh, uh, which is also known, uh, published before, and known before that biceps femoris is the most common part of hamstrings affected. In our study, it's 83 percent. Uh, semi-membranosus 12%, semi-tendinosus uh, 5%. Uh, so that, and that is figures which have been published before in other sports, like in Australian football. And we we looked at um, return to play data. Uh, then um, we um, should know that in our study, a player is considered injured until the medical team gives an okay for full. Uh, load at training and matches. So, in fact, a re-injury is is a um, you could say it's a sort of failure of the medical team because they said that the player was okay, but it was not the truth. Um, now, if if we look at return to play data for these three muscle injuries, well, there was no difference. Um, uh, between the three, but there was a great difference in recurrence rate because there was a high recurrence rate in biceps femoris, eighteen percent. Um, well, the, and there was only very few, or two percent, in the other two. So one practical effect of this could be for a team doctor or team medical staff that maybe be a little more careful. Uh, with biceps femoris injuries and maybe keep them a little longer in rehabilitation before you give an okay to to full low football load to avoid re-injuries. Uh, but in the semimembranosus and semitendinosus, maybe you could be a little uh, more aggressive uh, because there's a, a smaller risk for recurrence in these injuries. And, and can you say a little bit about the um, um, the, the median absence? What the um, well, um, yeah. yes, um, here is a, a problem. Also, uh, the median absence in totally is um, uh, about um, 
16 to 18 days. But this is a figure, uh, this is a difficult when you talk about uh, specifically with muscle injuries because muscle injuries are so different. And there are different uh, figures for different um, for hamstrings and quadriceps and gastrocnemius and groin injuries. So you need to set so you cannot take muscle injuries in as a total group. You must separate them into subgroups if you want safe return to play information. So first of all, you have to separate into hamstring quadriceps, um, um, lower uh, lower leg and um, groin. These four muscle groups. Um, are totally 95% of all muscle injuries in football. So they're very rare that the injuries are outside these groups. Secondly, it's it's a great difference be- between the severity of muscle injuries and return to play data. And uh, the radiologists uh, tell us that um, uh, they use uh, four grades, grade zero, which is no pathology seen at MRI, grade one, which is edema, but no uh, ruptures, grade two, partial ruptures, and grade three, total ruptures. There is a significant difference between uh, these four groups. So you must separate hamstrings into severity, into grades. Um, That's important. And then, of course, you can discuss if you also could uh, should separate uh, in in the location within the muscle if it's distal, or proximal, and so on. So it's very important to have much information about the muscle injury uh, for prognostication of retu- of absence, and you have a lot of help uh, from uh, imaging. And and when you talk about imaging, do you talk about, do you talk about ultrasound or do you talk about MRI? What is your preferred imaging technique? Well, we we used MRI in our study, but the sonography is just as good. Uh, so normally clubs. Uh, well, the specific thing is that the radiologists tell us that to have an optimal information from MRI for muscle injury. It should not. It should be done within the within the interval of 24 to 72 hours. So you, you should not do it within the first 24 hours. What clubs do in general is that they do a sonography immediately after the injury to get a screening of the injury. Then they do an MRI within the interval 24 to 72 hours, and then they do follow up with sonography. Uh, the, but it, 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 being a clinician, I must say that the, the basic thing for, for diagnosis is the clinical examination. And, and all the clubs, all, all the injuries are examined by clinical examination in all the clubs. That's the basis. But the interesting thing is that uh, it's uh, 86% of all the injuries in our study, all muscle injuries in our study are also examined by imaging, sonography or MRI. So it's only 14% where where we only have clinical examination. This means, in my opinion, that the medical teams at the lead level, they they, they um, receive some information from imaging which helps them 
in complementing their clinical examination and, and giving them more data for um, prognosticating return to play. Because at elite level, whenever you have an injury, and specifically muscle injuries, you always have the question from coaches, uh, media, players, uh, agents, and others, when can he or she play? So it's very good for the medical team to have a, a, a sort of more safe data of when, when to expect return to play. And, and what is the reason you shouldn't do the MRI within 24 hours, and why shouldn't you do it after 72 hours? What's, what's the difference? Well, and, and, well, you have to ask radiologist of, of uh, why, because um, the, the edema is not, or bleeding or so on, is not um, develops more over the first 24 hours. So, so in the beginning, you might not see the total picture. And the reason that after 72 hours, I said it's not, it's not, uh, um, it's, it's only because uh, it's easier to do follow-up with sonography, and um, and sometimes the the and the follow and follow-up with MRI is not really necessary in most cases, and the clinical examination and the clinical findings and the. Um, the um, degree of rehabilitation uh, um, are more important uh, uh, in the follow-up. So if you do it too early, you may underestimate the, yes. the extent of the injury. That's what the radiologists say, yes. Oh, okay. And you mentioned, also, you mentioned also the muscle classification. Is that the Munich class muscle classification system that you were referring to? Yes. Uh, and uh, the the problem is, as I said, the radiologists have a classification which is solid and working good. The clinical classification is uh, um, there is a lack of clean, good clinical classification. And I, I pointed out the necessity for this uh, before that you need to separate to classify muscles because if you if you uh, if you want um, more accurate data about return to play, for example. Uh, the Munich uh, group with uh, Miller-Wolfart and Peter Ublacher and Lutz Hensler, uh, etc., they have they're very much experience in muscle injuries and treating muscle injuries. I think Miller-Wolfart has, has seen 30,000 muscle injuries and so on. And, and, uh, and they uh, made a consensus to get, together with uh, muscle experts from the whole world and um, and uh, this consensus was published in BGSM as well. And we tested that in our study and found that this was a very reliable uh, method. And the, the main thing is that uh, the consensus divide muscle into direct and indirect muscle injuries. The direct are the contusions and, and um, the indirect and the others are indirect muscle injuries. Contusions are quite rare in comparison to indirect muscle injuries, and they have shorter rehabilitation time. So when we talk about indirect muscle injuries, um, you, we must separate between structural injuries and functional injuries. Structural injuries are, are tears, 
ruptures seen on MRI or sonography. Functional injuries are, are um, still causing absence in the club, but you see now tears uh, on MRI or ultrasound. So that could be just swelling of the muscle. It could be uh, delayed muscle soreness. It could be back problems with with um, um, with referred pain in the muscles and and so on. There could be many reasons for functional injuries. The problem is, and this changed at least my vision of muscle injuries, because as an orthopedic surgeon working in a hospital, you are used to see the structural injuries, the severe structural injuries, the, the total ruptures or avulsion, those who sometimes need surgery and so on. But this is not the problem at all at, at the, the, the um, uh, field level. In a football club, uh, the uh, the majority of injuries, as much as uh, 80% of injuries, are functional. There are no ruptures or tears seen on MRI or sonography. Still, they cause the majority of absence. So it's the small injuries, the functional injuries, that is the problem at the field level. And this is not recognized by people working in hospitals because they never see these injuries. And, and I would say that the Munich system has clearly pointed out the importance to separate these two types of, of muscle injuries. And, and when you talk about uh, muscle injuries, Carl Askling actually presented that there is like two types, two causes, the, the stretching and the, spring, the sprinting type of hamstrings, um, of hamstring injuries. Is this something you see in soccer players as well? Well, uh, it's it's um, you have to um, to realize that my friend Carl Askling and I have different populations in our in our. Carl Askling has a population from hospital uh, patients with more severe injuries, and he has specifically studied ballet dancer, but also sprinters mm -hmm. and uh, football players. We have only studied football players, and we cannot uh, separate these injuries uh, so clearly because it's sometimes very difficult to see in a situation uh, exactly when the injury occurs. Um, most hamstring injuries in football occur at matches, and we have video analysis, and it's sometimes difficult to see uh, when they happen. We, so we have not seen that clear distinction uh, between these type of injuries. Um, uh, and um, also, Carl Askling uh, has in several studies uh, showed that proximal hamstring injuries are, have longer rehabilitation, are more severe, have longer rehabilitation time. We could not find this in, um, in our studies because uh, we don't have these severe injuries with avulsions and so on. They are rare in football. So there is no difference mm -hmm. if it's a proximal or distal injury in grade um, 0, 1, or 2 in football. And the grade 3 with total avulsions are very rare in football. So this is not a, a prognostic factor to count in in football. And what would you then say is worse in a football player? A groin injury or a hamstring injury? 
That's a difficult uh, question uh, to answer because um, uh, we consider both these injuries are dominated by overuse. Groin, most groin injuries are overuse injuries, and most hamstring injuries are actually overuse injuries as well. And um, But the problem, uh, a groin injury, if we look at our study, has a, a shorter median absence than, than hamstrings. But on the other mm-hmm. way, it has an increased risk of recurrence, because, like all uh, groin injuries. So the problem with groin injuries is that there is a high risk to, to um, like in most overuse injuries, to, for a player to get a chronic problem if they are not aware of the importance of rehabilitation of the re- acute injury. I would say that uh, it's difficult to answer that question, which is worse. Well, what what would you then recommend to a um, to a club doctor to prevent these injuries so they don't get both they get neither one of them? <coughs> That's also a difficult question because um, if you look at the prevention, for example, of hamstring injuries, the most common method is uh, the using again a a training method for the players, the hamstring uh, the Nordic hamstring. Uh, type of training is very commonly used. Uh, it seems it's used in many top clubs as well, but doesn't seem to have any effect on, on prevention of hamstring injuries at elite level. And again, that could be several reasons. One reason uh, could be that this is a, a quite a static uh, movement and it's and and um, we, it's done with low velocity, and if you if you if you talk with coaches and managers today in, in football training, they all say that football training must be football specific. It must mimic the the uh, what happens in a match, uh, and uh, so everything should be with the ball. It should be done with high velocity and so on. I think we in medicine have something to learn there because many of our training methods or rehabilitation methods are done are not football specific. They are done at velocities which are much slower than the real velocities in movement at matches. So that could be a reason why Nordic hamstring doesn't really work on elite level. Uh, a second might, of course, be that um, that sometimes coaches and managers don't allow uh, um, people to do to devote part of the training to preventive methods um, uh, so that could be another uh, reason it could also be that there are other factors as I mentioned before that are more important than strength training for for um, uh, players, it might not be the strength of the muscles or the flexibility of the muscles that is important. Could, for example, be fatigue of the muscles. Uh, they play many matches. Um, they could be fatigued af- after specific training, but they could be fatigued after having played many matches and um, and so on. And the problem that medical in medical in rehabilitation is also that to evaluate when a player is ready to go back to uh, 
people training and there are tests done but again these tests must be football specific they must be done in velocities and movement that mimic what is happening in a match and secondly muscle injuries hamstring injuries occur at the end of halves in matches when the players are fatigued so maybe these tests should be done with when the players are fatigued and not uh, only when 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 they are uh, fresh in the muscles so there are many things still to um, to analyze concerning muscle injuries but the key from football is to be football specific well thank you very much and is there anything else you would like to share with our readers and listeners about hamstring injuries my main message is that um, to be sport-specific in prevention and maybe look at other factors outside the box, outside the player factors, not only strengthening of muscles, but maybe looking at fatigue of muscles, maybe looking at the well-being of players uh, and, and the mental factors and things like that, because if you, are, if you have private problems or problems with teammates or coaches, maybe you, you get tensed in your muscle and tense muscle get uh, easier, you, it's easier to get injuries and so on. So maybe we have to think out of the box to get further into prevention of hamstring injuries. Well, and then I would like to throw in just one more question, because there's these very interesting data in, in cricket and in baseball, where they looked at individual player time and they looked at how much a player uh, threw or, or played during one week, and then they compared that and they called that acute load, and then they looked at how much a player played uh, during four weeks, so the four-week rolling data, and they looked at the balance between those. So how much did a player play in one week compared to four weeks? Is that something that would be feasible to study in soccer, or is it more difficult to get individual data, playing time data there? Well, playing time data is is no problem because we have those figures, you know, because we count the, the, um, the exposure in minutes for every individual player. So we have exposure data. That, that, is, not, uh, that is not a problem. What, what is an interesting question in, in football is the load on players. So it's not only the time, but it's only the, the, uh, the yes, time of, of exposure. It's the content of the exposure. And we would be extremely happy if we could include some variables about load in our database. But we have talked to so many football scientists and physiologists and others to say, could you give us some variables about load? And there's no consensus how to measure load. I mean, you, you could measure heart rates, heart variability. You could measure GPS. You could measure um, the uh, the numbers of steps, the numbers of uh, yeah. high-velocity activities, and so on. But there is no consensus how to measure and what to measure. So if we can reach that and include that in a database about injuries, we would have fantastic possibilities to, uh, to analyze injuries further. I see another consensus meeting coming up. Absolutely. That would be great. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, thank you so much for this really interesting information. Thank you very much. Thank you.